So hello and welcome to the first Managing IP Awards Winners Podcast, where we'll be in conversation today with winning firms from the recent EMEA Awards. My name is Ed Conlon, I'm Managing Editor of Managing IP, and I'll be your host today. Our prestigious awards recognise remarkable achievements, innovation and developments in IP law in the past year, one which was, of course, disrupted and defined by COVID-19. In today's podcast, we will be discussing the future of technology in the protection of IP rights with Pons IP, the winner of the trademark prosecution, patent and trademark attorney firms, firm of the year for Spain. I'm delighted to be joined today by counsel from the firm, which provides IP services from IP strategy through to protection, defense and consultancy across Spain, Europe and Latin America. Jose Carlos Erdozan is of counsel at Pons IP and a specialist in IP and privacy law. He has extensive experience in litigation and arbitration and in advising companies both nationally and internationally. Welcome, Jose Carlos. Thank you very much for your uh, presentation and nice to meet you. Thank you, Jose Carlos. And also joining us today is Isabel Cortez, who is Head of International Affairs at Pons IP. Isabel has 23 years of extensive experience in the IP field, during which she has also worked as an intern for the European Commission as well as in academia. Welcome, Isabel. Hi, thank you. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you. Okay, great. And uh, last but not least, we have Marta Gutierrez, the CEO of technology firm SceneBlock, which specializes in minimizing risk through digital transformation. Welcome today, Marta. Good morning, and thank you for the opportunity of being here today. Okay. Well, firstly, many congratulations to Jose Carlos and Isabel and everyone at Pons IP who recently won the trademark prosecution patent and trademark attorney firms, firm of the year for Spain in our Managing IP EMEA awards. So Isabel, I think if we can start with you, um, I understand that your firm is transforming towards an IP consulting model, providing legal tech services and solutions. Um, Do you think this strategy has helped you tune into your clients' needs and ultimately see you recognized as Spain's firm of the year? So thank you very much, Ed, for your introduction. Absolutely. At Pons IP, we have started a process for the development of legal tech solutions that responds to the new challenges faced by our clients. So thanks to this active listening and closeness with our clients, we realized that many of them have needs that could not be efficiently covered with the traditional IP. So our commitment has been to accompany them in this journey by introducing innovative solutions that rely on technology, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and blockchain. We have been evolving our business model at the same time as our clients, developing an IP consultancy that offers powerful global protection, 100% secure and tailor-made today demands. So I would say that uh, we have been able to capture and understand our customer needs, and they have valued and rewarded this effort. It has been a mutual endeavor. We are grateful to our clients for allowing us to open our vision and embrace active change. Great, thank you very much. And just just to continue, actually, Isabel, if you don't mind, um, it'd be great to understand a bit more about how new technologies such as artificial intelligence and blockchain are actually helping law firms like Pons IP to meet their clients' needs. Uh, That's a good question. Uh, The evolution of technologies has a fundamental impact on the existing IP ecosystem indeed. And of course, IT solutions offer new opportunities to better manage IP rights. For instance, algorithm and machine learning that support 
categorizing legal documents or a vast amount of information to find them quicker, for example. At first sight, I, I have in mind pattern searches, the retrieval of figurative elements for trademarks, or the automatic classification. All these improve the, um, the administration of IP. But however, there are many ways in which law firms can incorporate artificial intelligence for better efficiency, transparency, and productivity. Specifically, our clients are very positive about the use of artificial intelligence technology to fight online trademark infringement. Uh, having a lively trademark portfolio means being proactive to minimize trademark misuse and to enforce IP rights. And, uh, and moreover, according to the last report on intellectual property right enforcement from UIPO, the presence of counterfeit products in the EU market results in direct sale losses that amounts to 50 billion euros. So online businesses are growing indeed, but unfortunately, along with them, the counterfeiting and unauthorized use of trademark as well. So that's why a holistic trademark protection strategy would count not only on the conventional legal approach, but also on the efficient AI mechanism of detection, analysis, and removal to track down trademark infringement online. Uh, and yeah, by using machine learning, IP law firms can easily detect and remove fake site, post, uh, and domain from unauthorized users, which allow us to give an immediate response to infringement. So our clients in this area come from different industries, from sportwear to fashion, as well as more sensitive areas like safety equipment manufacturers. Needless to say, how important it can be to detect counterfeit in today's sensible products as medical devices, masks, or whatsoever. And, uh, and in the meantime, we should not forget the acclaimed service based on blockchain. Thanks to this, clients can now securely record, identify, transact, and authenticate many types of legal documents as a proof of assistance. It could be relevant to, it could be a relevant way to record a trade secret, substitute the traditional public notary, or to gather evidence of trademark use. But, uh, but I'm sure that my colleague Marta will go into details in this respect. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Isabel. And um, yes, Marta, obviously, you, you are the, the blockchain specialist on, on the podcast today. So, um, you know, it'd be great to hear from you. I mean, firstly, it'd be great to just understand really briefly a bit more about the company, you know, what exactly you do. And then, and then also how blockchain is, is kind of affecting IP and, and how, you know, what the big issues are at the moment. Yes, uh, Signoblog is specialized in improving disruptive technologies such as blockchain based on the concept of digitalization and the fourth industrial revolution, making, ac making accessible this technology to any entity without taking into account its size or sector, that is our philosophy. Um, blockchain has three main characteristics, traceability, transparency and immutability. Therefore, one of its main uses is recording events in an immutable and safe way, allowing these evidences referred to be guarded by one or more entities, usually different from the owner of the information itself. This is possible due to records of evidences and the blockchain are based on the use of HASICs that are alphanumeric codes based on cryptography, which identifies the event, um, if necessary, also the user. 
In the case of intellectual property, the major interest of companies or users applying for a trademark registration or a patent application is to provide sufficient evidence of the process in relation to issues such as the instant in which an application is registered as well as the instant in which this application undergoes a chain of status or being empowered to proceed with verification of evidences that they have provided. This means getting enough guarantee that these evidences have not been corrupted in any way. We must also take into account that current IPP processes often include content in digital format, which does not necessarily have to be collected in a documentary format, but that many times in order to get legal value, uh, for example, in Europe, according to ADAS regulation and regarding electronic signature, implies the creation of a substitute in documentary format. So to understand better this point, we can think in the case that we want to register a software and since we cannot sign with an electronic certificate the file that contains data, we copy out all code lines and pass them into a word format document in order to make this possible. So, on the other hand, after analyzing current IP processes, we can see that all the information is sent to a central entity, such as the World IP Organization, who receive all the information related to all the registration processes in a defined geographical context, being the only responsible of the custody of that information on their service. So, what will happen if these central agencies fail at selling the information or they will be hacked? That is the origin of blockchain as a result of the bankruptcy on the financial system in 2008, which no one will have considered possible. So the concept is the, the central system failed. So the question is, how does blockchain contribute to solve this problem? Blockchain reinforces traditional data systems, becoming, uh, becoming them more reliable and safety because evidences can be guarded also by third parties without this matter implies sharing know-how or confidential information indeed. The goal is to provide to any asset its own and unique identity, letting evidences be the owners of their own information. In a very different use, of course, blockchain is a fundamental tool in the fight against product counterfeiting or the fraudulent marketing of original products through unauthorized channels. So, to sum up, uh, current IP processes uh, can be much more efficient, agile, safety, and robust if they are secure with blockchain technology to guarantee authenticity, improving transparency, and in consequence, the reliability of the information. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds great. Well, thank you. I mean, it sounds like, you know, since two, 2008, things have come quite a long way, Marta. Um, I'm just wondering, are you able to kind of predict where things will go from now in terms of the next, maybe not necessarily the next 13 years, but, you know, the next five years? How, how different will things look in terms of blockchain and IP in the, in the next five years, maybe, do you think? I strongly believe that in the next 10 years, uh around the 80% of the of the entities taking part in any kind of, of process are going to to improve the use of this technology to become uh, more reliable for the customers and trying to provide uh, added value services that makes possible the uh, becoming more competitive so I strongly believe that the, the, the IP processes are not going to be uh, different from the rest of processes we can find around the world.
Yeah. Okay. Great. Thank you. Well, if we just move on now to uh, to Jose Carlos, I think the interesting thing here is that you know, with all the development of technology that's going on, I think it it's becoming more important that lawyers themselves obviously have to be tech savvy. You know, and I'd just be interested to hear your thoughts on that about the the need for for lawyers to to be increasingly tech savvy as these technologies develop. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, to begin with, I would say that this is a matter of great importance for any lawyer, and especially if you want to be a technical lawyer or a legal tech lawyer. Um, if I were younger, I mean, if I were a graduate student at any school of law, I would ask myself, uh, okay, now, now this is a train I would not like to miss. This is a huge opportunity, a great opportunity to hold on to a, a new technology and to take profit, take advantage of new uh, technology which can be useful for my clients and for my own skills. So I think that uh, if you want to be a, a technical lawyer, you have to be very familiar with this technology and you have to be uh, very skillful in this area. Uh, you know, as lawyers are a kind of uh, providers of responses, in fact, of legal responses. So I would say, okay, if my client needs a legal response for a technical problem, uh, would it not be better that I understand that technology so that I may give him a better response for his or her needs? Could a lawyer provide such a good um, legal assessment, uh, had he not been in possession of a perfect or a prominent knowledge of technology. So as I see it, if a lawyer has uh, to provide legal assessment for a technological startup, uh, he or she needs to be very familiar with this. He or she needs to understand that technological reality very well um, you have to understand what, what that is. Uh, you know, there, there's been a lot of discussion, for instance, in, in, in courts, about whether or not uh, the, a link is a kind of public communication act or, or not. Uh, well, in order to give uh, an answer to that, as I said, you have to understand what a link is and how it moves, how it is made, uh, is it really a, a public communication or not? So in conclusion, yes, I think that uh, this is an, an open window to, to the future and technological issues are new for all of us, that's, that's for sure, but we, we need to keep up with that reality, in fact. Otherwise, we will lose that trend, as I said. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I'd just be interested to know, though, I mean, what kind of changes do you think we will see? Do you think we will see law firms actually demanding that, you know, prospective lawyers have technical backgrounds? Or do you think maybe the, the qualifications themselves will start including um, some sort of technology element? I'm just wondering what kind of changes we'll see for, you know, the, the difference in demands we might see from law firms. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. There, there has to be a lot of changes in the way we teach law, specifically in this area of us. I mean that I've been teaching law at lower schools for about 20 years, and you know, it's, it hasn't changed at all in all those years. I mean that young people, young students 
leave lower schools. And yes, of course, they know how to conclude an agreement, they know how to argue perhaps, but uh, they do not have a, a clear idea of uh, what source code is or what the technological uh, tools, as Marta said before, are for the clients. I mean, that uh, can I offer a client uh, a, a blockchain technology, for instance, so that the agreements may be concluded uh, in a better way, in a safe, safer way for them, for instance. Uh, they do not have any kind of knowledge or any kind of uh, teaching on this. And as a result, uh, students, as, as, as they leave the, the schools of law, uh, they do not, they, they are not very familiar with this technological knowledge, with this technological reality. And as a result, I think that they are unable to give proper legal assessment for these new technological companies. And that's what they require. I was very astonished the other day, I heard news, a piece of news, which says something like uh, the, the, the new careers, new skills, that are required uh, did not exist uh, about 10 years ago or five years ago. But what does it mean? Well, it means that the people living schools of law do not have the knowledge which the companies actually need now. So in my view, as I said, uh, well, yes, uh, there should be a, a specific topics, a specific uh, matters which uh, should be uh, taught in, in the schools of law, for instance, in terms of cyber squatting, in terms of cyber security, uh, you know, these kind of things, blockchain, for instance, also, uh, that would be very great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Isabel, as someone who has worked in academia previously, I mean, what, what do you think about uh, what, what Jose Carlos has just said there? Do you think it's something that academic institutions are going to be willing to, to sort of adopt? I completely agree with him because, I mean, it was happening nowadays with students. I mean, they learn a lot about law, they know all the articles, they argue, but when they go out and they are ready for being at the market, maybe they can use this all this new technology for concentrating themselves in which is important, which is the advice from the client, and all these tools can help them, you know, to do this previous work that for long they had to do it by themselves. But now they have, you know, all the technical tools for make this work easy and concentrate much more on the issue, on the legal matter that should be discussed or should be defended or whatever. So I think that our students and I would say universities, they really need to rethink about all these changes, which is, as Martha mentioned, it's all over. And, and yeah, rethink and go ahead with all the changes which are required, you know, to put students in a better position for daily legal life, let's say. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, and, and Jose Carlos, uh, I mean, we've also talked today about many different ways in which artificial intelligence and blockchain can affect IP, but, but are there any other ways that we can mobilize these technologies or, or maybe what's some of the other key issues at the moment, for example, AI inventorship? Yes, uh, yes, uh, that's it. Uh, for instance, uh, I think that there, there's been a lot of discussion now 
about uh, how the, these new technologies will impact in the traditional pillars of law. For instance, uh, as you say, with respect to the question of the inventorship, I mean that should an artificial intelligence be considered an inventor or an author or a creator of a copyright piece of work or not? And that is a very crucial question. And uh, I'm very pleased to see and I'm very pleased to assist to these discussions uh, which are now uh, being held in the uh, White Point, the World uh, Intellectual Property Office in Geneva. And there's a, a kind of uh, public talks about this uh, and how these technologies will impact. My guess is that perhaps in 10 years ahead, we'll see that why not an, an, an artificial intelligence may be considered uh, as an inventor of a patent, for instance, or author of a piece of work. Why not? If we could uh, ask uh, a Roman lawyer, so to speak, of the, of the Roman Empire, uh, what about the fact that a legal entity may have rights, for instance? Well, that Roman lawyer uh, would be astonished uh, and would say, well, are you crazy? What are you saying? That can't be. Well, uh, after a long time ago, we, uh, we have accepted that legal entity is, is, is a subject of uh, rights and obligations, of course, but uh, we have accepted that. In the same way, my guess is that perhaps in, in five or, or even ten years, we'll, we'll uh, end up accepting uh, the same way that artificial intelligence, why not, are uh, to be considered uh, as an inventor. And likewise, um, this, this is a, a subject of rights and obligations. In fact, I think that your Copyright Act establishes in some section, I can't remember now by heart, but in some section it recognizes uh, the, the possibility that uh, a computer organized, mental organized entity may be holder of uh, IPO rights. Uh, that's a very uh, important step forward in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, and just just to kind of finish finish off, really, I think maybe Jose Carlos again, if you, if you could just finish off. I mean, we haven't really talked about any specific jurisdictions today. We've just talked in fairly general terms. I know we've talked about the World Intellectual Property Organization, but I mean, are there any um, any specific jurisdictions that that you look to that that have any interesting examples of AI or blockchain being used? Uh, yes, my, we, we have experience with the uh, Japanese uh, Patent Trademark Office, which uses, uh, for instance, artificial intelligence uh, in order to assess whether or not the novelty requirement is met. Um, I think that uh, the Japanese office is, is very pioneer in this area. And uh, likewise, I, I think that the other trademark offices, um, such as us, ours, I mean that the Spanish offices, will uh, use uh, this technology in, in the future because it is absolutely impossible for a human examiner to examine all the existing patents uh, in order to assess on this question. I mean, uh, 
whether the uh, novelty requirement is met. Just imagine that uh, these patents are, most of them, uh, are drafted in uh, Arabic uh, symbols or Japanese or Asian uh, symbols, so it can't be impossible for, for, for a European person with uh, usual knowledge of languages uh, to, to know whether or not the application of patent uh, is new or not. So my uh, guess is that, again, this uh, artificial intelligence technology will be used for uh, all the uh, trademark and patent offices all around the world, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's a good um, a good prediction to, to finish on, I think. Um, you know, we've managed to fit in quite a lot in a short space of time today. So, so thank you very much to our panel today for joining me uh, for this first Managing IP Awards podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it and we will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Such a pleasure.